Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written with, within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people for, for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads of thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is a lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. In 1971, the Beatles' John Lennon wrote a song called Imagine. And I'm going to read a few of these uh, lyrics from the verses for us. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries, it isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for, and no religion too. Imagine all the people live in life in peace. Imagine no possessions, I wonder if you can, no need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. In this song, John Lennon imagines a utopia, a perfect world. And, and through the lyrics of the song, he believes that if everyone would just lay down and forget about our differences, our religions, our countries, our possessions, that we could have some type of perfect world, some type of perfect utopia. Now, I don't believe that getting rid of our, our religion, our Christianity, is the way to achieve utopia. But I do believe that Lennon has a point in his song that the world is longing for something greater. The world is longing to live in harmony, to live in unity. And in the same way today, you may feel like John Lennon. You might be longing for peace. There's many wars going on in the world right now, and looking at the news, you might be longing for peace. 
Maybe you're dealing with a sickness or you have a loved one dealing with a sickness and you're just longing for health. Maybe you're struggling with an inner turmoil, such as a sin or shame, and you're longing for some type of deliverance. But why do we feel this way? Why, in a time past the resurrection of Jesus, why do we still feel so hopeless? Especially you if you're a Christian today. Why, when we are saved by Jesus, are we still not running to him? Well, the book of Revelation and the entire Bible promises something very similar to Lennon's song. In Revelation 21, it promises a world with no more tears, no more death, no more sorrow, and no more pain. But who can bring such a world? Is Lennon right? Can humanity just band together and quit fighting and everything be okay? So to him, I would ask, well, then why haven't we done it yet? (laughs) Why haven't I done it yet? I can't even lay down my pride enough to have a nice conversation with my wife at times. When I'm, when I'm in the wrong. How, how are we supposed to lay down our lives for each other? Who can bring the world to such a utopia and why do we not trust in him? Well, to answer that question, I'm gonna ask three more questions this morning that we're gonna look at in our passage. We're gonna look at why John weeps, why the elder speaks, and why we should sing. So first, why John weeps? If you look at me at verse one of Revelation, we see a scroll and the hand of the one sitting on the throne. Now to give you some context of who, who this is, who is sitting on the throne, in chapter four, John sees in the vision, God sitting on the throne. And he sees him uh, surrounded by these nice precious jewels. And he sees all these heavenly creatures surrounding him, praising him because he is the creator. So we see God the creator sitting on the throne. And now we see him having a scroll in his hand. And what is this scroll? Well, commentator Daryl Johnson says that the scroll contains God's plan for establishing God's rule in the world. It contains God's plan for bringing the original purpose of creation to fulfillment. It contains God's plan for bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. It contains the meaning of history, of world history, of your history, and of my history. You see, opening the scroll and breaking its seals, as verse two implies, it says that God's purpose for judgment and salvation could be accomplished. Before the beginning of the world, God set in motion a plan to deliver his people, to save his people because of his love for us. And yet, no one is found worthy to open the scroll. Opening the scroll means that everything that God has planned for his people would be accomplished. And no one on heaven or on earth or under the earth is found worthy. So why does John weep? John weeps because for a moment, all hope seems lost. He weeps because he knows too much. He knows how sinful he is. He knows the law. He knows what he's supposed to do and that he isn't worthy to do it. He knows that if no one opens the scroll, everyone, including himself, is doomed to a life of sin and suffering. The destiny of John, the church, and the universe hangs in the balance of whether or not someone can open this scroll. And when no one is found worthy, John weeps. It seems as though for a moment, God's glorious plan is never going to happen. In John chapter 20, three days after Jesus' crucifixion, Mary Magdalene visited his tomb to discover that the stone had been rolled away and Jesus' body had been taken. She goes and gets some of the disciples and tells them, and there's this kind of humorous scene of Peter and John running, but John makes sure to let you know that he got there first. 
And they look in, see that the body isn't there, and they leave. And Mary's left alone, weeping. Two angels appear to her, and at least in John's gospel, Mary doesn't react to the angels other than to say, they have taken away my Lord. And then another figure appears behind her and comes up and asks, why are you weeping? She responds to him, why did you take my Lord away? See, put, put yourself in Mary's shoes. I know we, we know how the story ends. We, we are living after, after knowing. But just for a moment, put yourself in Mary's shoes. Your friend, your teacher, the person that you thought was gonna deliver your people and save you dies. And then a few days later, you're so humiliated that they even take the body, someone steals the body. And you're just sitting there feeling hopeless. Now, there may be some of you today that are feeling the same way. You may be looking at the world and weeping. You may be feeling hopeless because of a sick loved one. For many of us, the holidays, especially us who know the truth of Christianity, the holidays are a great time of cheer and of, of, of joy because our Savior has come. But for those who don't know Christ, it can be a very hard time filled with grief and loss. And just a little side note, we need to love those people. We need to, to be there for those people. But for you who, who are Christians, are you weeping? Have you, have you forgotten? Are you feeling hopeless because you are unworthy? Are you weeping because you have a sin that you're struggling with? Can you not quit looking at pornography? Can you not quit gossiping to your neighbor? Can you not quit getting angry or being greedy or, letting, or holding on to your pride? You see, we as Christians see the birth of Christ and we know the truth of the gospel. And yet oftentimes, we more than the world are, are, are running from him. We know how we are supposed to act and yet we still do not look to Jesus and no one is found worthy. And so we weep. And if that's you today, I'm here to remind you that it's, we're not hopeless, that we do have hope. You see, the story of Mary visiting the tomb did not end there, for the, the man behind her who spoke to her was not a gardener like she supposed, but it was her Lord. And just as Mary's weeping was interrupted by an angel speaking, John's weeping is interrupted by someone speaking. So let's keep looking at our passage for the hope that is there. Look with me at verse five. The elder tells John, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Both the lion of Judah and the root of David point to the fulfillment of some Old Testament prophecies. John and the Jews that he's writing to, the people that he's writing to, they would have known the Old Testament, they would have known about this prophecy. And they would say, hey, that's the Messiah that the Old Testament was talking about. There is the one who is worthy. And it says that he has conquered. He has overcome the enemy in his death and resurrection. But how did he conquer the enemy? Pay attention to the difference between what John hears and what he sees. John hears that there is a lion. And in my head, and if you look at the New Testament, what the disciples originally thought is that Jesus would conquer through some military might as a, as a mighty roaring lion. And yet John looks and he doesn't see a lion. 
but he sees a lamb. And not just a lamb, he sees a lamb standing as though it had been slain. See, that brings to me, to mind for me, the image of Jesus standing in front of his disciples after his resurrection with, with the nail, still, nail mark still in his hands and the spear scar still in his side. You see, this lamb was slain for you and for me, but it's still standing. It's still living. It says the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. That's just uh, symbolism in Revelation. Seven is the number of perfection. So it's talking about Jesus's, the horns are a symbol of Jesus's perfect power. The eyes are a symbol of Jesus's perfect wisdom. And the, the seven spirits is the perfect spirit, the Holy Spirit sent into the earth. So because of Jesus, because he is perfect, because he is perfectly powerful, perfectly wise, he conquered, but he didn't conquer like we would have think, thought he would. He didn't conquer through tearing down people or tearing down emperors. He conquered through dying as a sacrificial lamb. One pastor said, God's purposes of redemption and rule can only be accomplished through one uniquely worthy individual. Jesus Christ, he is simultaneously the fierce lamb of the tribe of Judah warring against God's enemies and the gentle lamb that has been slain who purchased his people with the blood of his atoning sacrifice. Only God and his Trinitarian fullness can achieve these unbelievable purposes. You see present in Revelation 5 are all three members of the Trinity. You have God on the throne, you have the son as the lamb and you have the Holy Spirit of God. This is the central paradox of Christianity. This is why Christianity does not make sense to people. It's because Jesus Christ triumphed and delivered his people, not through the fireworks of military might, but through the weakness of crucifixion. Through suffering as a lamb led to slaughter, Jesus Christ became worthy to open the scroll, to fulfill God's purposes, to give us hope, so that we don't have to weep anymore. Jim Elliott was an evangelist and missionary who lived from 1927 to 1956. And if you don't know his story, he believed his purpose in life was to tell others about God and obey God's call. He met his wife, Elizabeth, at Wheaton College and the two married, both gunning to be missionaries. And eventually they would be called to the Ecuadorian jungle where they attempted to make contact and share the gospel with a tribe of people known for killing outsiders. And one day on January 8, 1956, Elliot and four others were speared to death by the ones they sought to minister to. And if that's where the story ended, it would be a really sad story. But Elliot's sacrifice was not in vain for his wife, Elizabeth, and his daughter moved into that same village with the same people and shared the gospel with them. And many of those people came to know Christ. And according to the website of, of Elizabeth Elliot, those people are even kind to outsiders now and welcoming to people coming and visiting them. You see, Elliot suffered to the point of death so that others could know the grace and the power of the gospel. And in a much larger way, much, much larger way. Jesus lived and suffered and died so that you and I can have hope in him. He conquered death by becoming the sacrificial lamb so that God's plan for the world could be accomplished, so that the scroll could be opened, 
If you are here today and you do not know the hope of Jesus, if you are still weeping, feeling a sense of hopelessness, I invite you to believe that Jesus Christ died for you, that he lived for you, that he did what you and I could not do so that we didn't have to. Because of his sacrifice, we were able to know him and one day there will be a day with no more tears and we will weep no more. If you are a Christian living here today, ask yourself, why are you still living like you have to do everything by yourself when the slain lamb has already done it for you? Why are you still trying to be a lion that can face his sin head on? Why are you going into a room at night on the computer thinking that you can just not click that website? Why, you wouldn't put an alcoholic in a bar and say, hey, just don't have a drink. We, we are called to live like Christ, not as mighty lions trying to do everything as our own, but as suffering lambs. We are sheep who have gone astray and who are in need of a shepherd. And our shepherd set the example for us as a slain lamb. We also don't share the gospel as mighty lions roaring. We don't get into Facebook arguments or yell on the street, slapping people in the face with a Bible in order to share the gospel. But we serve others, we love others, just as Christ loved us, as suffering lambs. Do you believe that today? Do you believe what the elder said? Do you know that? Christ is worthy to open the scroll. And now how should we respond? Why should we sing? Well, let's look at verses nine and 10. The heavenly creatures sing a new song, a joyous song. In the Old Testament, a new song, whenever it says we're singing a new song, it's always an expression of God's victory over the enemy. But what is the new song they're singing? They're singing that Jesus is worthy to open the scroll for three reasons. First, he is worthy because he was slain. His sacrifice made him worthy. Second, he was worthy because he paid the price for his people. He purchased them for God. Christ's atonement did not only pay for our sins, but it made us righteous in God's eyes. Because of his death on the cross, we are adopted as sons and daughters, as Romans 8 and Ephesians 1 says. You see, Jesus Christ made it possible for us to be God's people. And his people are made up of every tribe, language, people, and nations. This statement just means that Christianity is universal. God is not biased to one group of people. It is available to all people. Christianity is not exclusive to America. Jesus did not just die for people in Israel. Jesus did not just die for people in England. But he died so that anyone who believed in him from any people group could come to love him. And third, Jesus is worthy because he made his people a kingdom and priests to God, and they will reign on the earth. Jesus has not only saved us, but he has given us a purpose. Christ has fulfilled what God promised to the Israelites. In Exodus, God says that he's gonna make the Israelites a holy nation, a kingdom of priests, so that people would look at them and see God. And now Christ has fulfilled it, so that not just people in Israel, but people from all over the world can point to God as priests, and as king, or to the king. How do we reign with him? Well, there's a little debate on this phrase. Some people think that 
when it says they will reign, that's a future tense. It's meaning it will happen someday when Jesus returns. But I believe, and, and others believe, that this is a present tense verb, that they are reigning with him. That you and I, if, if you are Christian here today, that we currently reign with Jesus as priests and a kingdom pointing to the king. That we are called to serve others, that we are called to mediate on behalf of others through our prayers and through through sharing the gospel currently on earth. Because he is worthy, because he has given us a purpose, because he was slain, because he has bought us, John calls us to sing. Revelation calls us to sing. For those of you who don't know, I attended North Greenville University. As part of our course requirements at the time, we had to attend 22 chapels every semester. Now, a couple of my friends who still go there have told me that they've changed it and made it a little lighter, and they only have to go to eight now. So I don't know why they're doing that, but we had to go to 22. We're a little more holy, apparently, Um, or we needed it more. These chapels usually consisted of worship led by our campus band or a visiting worship team, and a message taught or preached by a visiting pastor, a professor, or even a student. And I will confess to you all now that I did not pay attention or enjoy all of these chapels. A lot of times, as a Christian studies student who thought I was better than some, I judged the preaching, and oftentimes I just zoned out, got distracted, or was playing on my phone. But I will never forget the time standing and worshiping through song. You see, we worship in all kinds of ways. We worship in listening to a sermon. We worship in the way we live. But worshiping through song at North Greenville with 2,000 other students, it just brought a hope. It brought a reminder of who God is, of who Christ is. When I was a freshman, our semester was cut short because of COVID. We got sent home in March and we didn't return. We were blessed to return in August. Some schools didn't even do that, but we didn't return until August. And I know for a lot of people here and around the world that those few months were a very, very hard time. It's a lot of loneliness, for a lot sickness and loss. And when we returned to chapel that next semester, it felt like we were singing a new song. We had a new hope. Because of those songs, we were reminded about the goodness of God and the grace of Christ. And we were reminded of what we were created for. You see, in the same way that we were singing those songs together, the heavenly creatures proclaim the goodness and worthiness of Christ. We, like the heavenly creatures, were made to worship our Lord. And we have been enabled to worship our Lord because of the sacrificial lamb. So why don't we? And I'm not just talking about singing some words on a screen, but why don't we sing to God with our hearts? Not just in this building, but day to day, week to week. Why don't we love the Lord and sing to him? We have seen that we are unworthy. We have seen that Jesus is worthy. So ask yourself, do you sing to him? Are you trusting in him? Are you running to him? Today, are you, whether you are a Christian or not, are you singing or are you still weeping? Do you know the goodness of the sacrificial lamb? Have you put your trust in him? Do you know that you are unworthy? And are you seeking after the one who is worthy? Are you living your life as God's priest in the world? And do you sing his praises? 
In the final few verses of chapter five, thousands of angels sing something very similar to our own declaration. That the lamb is worthy of power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. We have seen that John wept because he was unworthy and there was no one who was. We have seen that the elder spoke because the sacrificial lamb came and conquered. And we have seen why we should sing our purpose in the world. So as we sing the next song, as we come to the table, as we say our declaration, I would invite you to ask yourself if you know the one who is worthy, if you've trusted in the slain lamb. Are you still singing Imagine with John Lennon, just hoping that you can buck up and, and, and do it yourself and that everything will be okay? Are you singing praises to the one who is worthy, like John the Apostle saw, the whole world singing to him? Let me pray for us.